Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Jeanne. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney, Volume 4, Chapter 6, A Man of the Town, Part 2. The heralds were both of them much pleased at this mark of civility in a young man whose family had prepared them rather to expect his scorn, and expressed their wishes that he would drink his tea in their party. He accepted their invitation with alacrity, and turning to Cecilia said, Have I not skilfully timed my introduction? But though you have done me this honour with Mr. and Mrs. Harrow, I must not yet, I presume, entreat you to extend it to a certain happy gentleman of this company glancing his eyes toward sir robert floyer no sir answered she with quickness yet nor ever they were now at the door leading downstairs to the tea-room cecilia saw that sir robert who had hitherto been engaged with some gentlemen seemed to be seeking her and the remembrance of the quarrel which had followed her refusal of his assistance at the opera-house obliged her to determine should he offer it again to accept it but the same brutality which forced this intention contributed to render it repugnant to her and she resolved if possible to avoid him by hurrying downstairs before he reached her she made therefore a sudden attempt to slip through the crowd and as she was light and active she easily succeeded but though her hasty motion separated her from the rest of the party delville who was earnestly looking at her to discover her meaning in the disclaiming speech she made about sir robert saw into her design but suffered her not to go alone he contrived in a moment to follow and join her, while she was stopping at the foot of the stairs for Mrs. Harrow. "'Why, what a little thief you are!' cried he, to run away from us thus. What do you think Sir Robert will say? I saw him looking for you at the very instant of your flight.' "'Then you saw at the same time,' said Cecilia, the reason of it. "'Will you give me leave,' cried he, laughing, "'to repeat this to my Lord Arnolf?' "'You may repeat it, sir, if you please,' said Cecilia, piqued that he had not rather thought of himself than of Lord Arnolf, to the whole pantheon. And if I should, cried he, half of it at least would thank me, and to obtain the applause of so noble an assembly, what would it signify that Sir Robert should cut my throat? I believe, said Cecilia, deeply mortified by a raillery that showed so little interest in her avowal of indifference, you are determined to make me as sick of that man's name as I am of his conversation." "'And is it possible,' exclaimed Deville, in a tone of surprise, "'that such can be your opinion, and yet, situated as you are, "'the whole world at your command, and all mankind at your devotion, "'but I am answering you seriously, when you are only speaking by rule.' "'What rule, sir?' "'That which young ladies, upon certain occasions, always prescribe themselves.' "'Here they were interrupted by the arrival of the rest of the company.' though not before Cecilia had received some little consolation for her displeasure, by finding that young Deville still supposed she was engaged, and flattering herself his language would be different were he informed of the contrary. Maurice now undertook to procure them a table for tea, which, as the room was very full, was not easily done, and while they were waiting his success, Miss Larolles, who from the stairs had perceived Cecilia, came running up to her, and taking her hand called out, lord my dear creature who'd have thought of seeing you here i was never so surprised in my life i really thought you was gone into a convent it's so extremely long since i've seen you but of all things in the world why was you not at lady nyla's last assembly 
I thought of asking Mrs. Harrel fifty times why you did not come, but it always went out of my head. You've no notion how excessively I was disappointed. You are very obliging, said Cecilia, laughing, but I hope, since you so often forget it, the disappointment did not much lessen your entertainment. Oh, Lord, no! I was never so happy in my life. There was such a crowd, you could not move a finger. Everybody in the world was there. You've no idea how delightful it was. I thought verily I should have fainted with the heat. That was delightful indeed. And how long did you stay? Why, we danced till three in the morning. We began with cotillons and finished with country dances. It was the most elegant thing you ever saw in your life. Everything quite in a style. I was so monstrously fatigued, I could hardly get through the last dance. I really thought I should have dropped down dead, only conceived dancing five hours in such a monstrous crowd. I assure you, when I got home, my feet were all blisters. You have no idea how they smarted. And whence come it, cried young Deville, that you partake so little of these delights? Because I fear, answered Cecilia, I came too late into the school of fashion to be a ductile pupil. Do you know, continued Miss Larose, Mr. Meadows has not spoke one word to me all the evening, though I am sure he saw me, for I sat at the outside on purpose to speak to a person or two that I knew would be strolling about, for if one sits on the inside there is no speaking to a creature, you know, so I never do it at the opera, nor in the boxes at Ranelagh, nor anywhere. It's the shockingest thing you can conceive to be made sit in the middle of those forms. One might as well be at home, for nobody can speak to one. "'But you don't seem to have had much better success,' said Cecilia, "'in keeping at the outside. "'Oh, yes, I have, for I got a little chat with two or three people as they were passing, "'for, you know, when one sits there, they can't help saying something, "'though I assure you all the men are so exceedingly odd, "'they don't care whether they speak to one or no. "'As to Mr. Meadows, he's really enough to provoke one to death. "'I suppose he's in one of his absent fits.' However, I assure you I think it's extreme impertinent of him, and so I shall tell Mr. Sawyer, for I know he'll make a point of telling him of it again. I rather think, said Cecilia, the best would be to return the compliment in kind, and when he next recollects you, appear to have forgotten him. Oh, Lord, that's a very good notion, so I will, I declare. But you can't conceive how glad I am the concert's over, for I assure you, though I sat as near the fire as possible, I was so extreme cold you've no idea, for Mr. Meadows never would let me have the least peep at it. I declare I believe he does it on purpose to plague one, for he grows worse and worse every day. You can't think how I hate him. Not easily, I believe, indeed, said Cecilia archly. Oh, do but look, resumed the fair voluble, if there is not Mrs. Mears in her old red gown again. I begin to think she'll never have another. I wish she was to have an execution in her house if it was only to get rid of it. I am so fatigued with the sight of it you can't conceive. Mr. Maurice now brought intelligence that he had secured one side of a table which would very well accommodate the ladies, and that the other side was only occupied by one gentleman, who, as he was not drinking tea himself, would doubtless give up his place when the party appeared. Miss Larose then ran back to her own set, and the rest followed Mr. Maurice. Mrs. Harrow, Mrs. Mears, and Cecilia took their places. The gentleman opposite to them proved to be Mr. Meadows. Maurice, therefore, was much deceived in his expectations, for, far from giving up his place, he had flung himself all along the form in such a lounging posture, while he rested one arm upon the table, that, not contented with merely keeping his own seat, he filled up a space meant for three. 
Mr. Harrell had already walked off to another party. Deville stood aloof for some minutes, expecting Sir Robert Floyer would station himself behind Cecilia, but Sir Robert, who would scarce have thought such a condescension due to a princess, disdained any appearance of assiduity, even while he made it his care to publish his pretensions, and therefore, finding no accommodation to please him, he stalked towards some gentleman in another part of the room. Deville then took the post he had neglected, and Mr. Arnott, who had not had courage to make any effort in his own favor, modestly stood near him. Cecilia contrived to make room for Mr. Gosport next to herself, and Maurice was sufficiently happy in being allowed to call the waiters, superintend the provisions, and serve the whole party. The task of making tea fell upon Cecilia, who, being somewhat incommoded by the vicinity of her neighbors, Mrs. Mears called out to Mr. Meadows, "'Do pray, sir, be so good as to make room for one of us at your side.' Mr. Meadows, who was indolently picking his teeth and examining them with a toothpick case-glass, did not at first seem to hear her, and when she repeated her request, he only looked at her and said, "'Hm?' "'Now, really, Mr. Meadows,' said she, "'when you see any ladies in such distress, I wonder how you can forbear helping them.' "'In distress, are you?' cried he, with a wakened smile. "'Pray, what's the matter?' "'Don't you see? We are so crowded we can hardly sit.' "'Can't you?' cried he. "'Upon my honour it's very shameful that these people don't contrive some seats more convenient.' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Mears. "'But if you would be so kind as to let somebody else sit by you, we should not want any contrivance.' Here Mr. Meadows was seized with a furious fit of yawning, which as much diverted Cecilia and Mr. Gosport as it offended Mrs. Mears, who with great displeasure added, "'Indeed, Mr. Meadows, it's very strange that you never hear what's said to you.' "'I beg your pardon,' said he. "'Were you speaking to me?' And again began picking his teeth. Maurice, eager to contrast his civility with the inattention of Mr. Meadows, now flew round to the other side of the table, and calling out, "'Let me help you, Miss Beverley. I can make tea better than anybody,' he leant over the part of the form which Mr. Meadows had occupied with one of his feet, in order to pour it out himself.' But Mr. Meadows, by an unfortunate removal of his foot, bringing him forwarder than he was prepared to go, the teapot and its contents were overturned immediately opposite to Cecilia. Young Deville, who saw the impending evil, from an impetuous impulse to prevent her suffering by it, hastily drew her back, and bending down before her, secured her preservation by receiving himself the mischief with which she was threatened. Mrs. Mears and Mrs. Harrell vacated their seats in a moment, and Mr. Gosport and Mr. Arnott assisted in clearing the table, and removing Cecilia, who was very slightly hurt, and at once surprised, ashamed, and pleased at the manner in which she had been saved. Young Deville, though a sufferer from his gallantry, the hot water having penetrated through his coat to his arm and shoulder, was at first insensible to his situation, from an apprehension that Cecilia had not wholly escaped and his inquiries were so eager and so anxious, made with a look of such solicitude, and a voice of such alarm, that equally astonished and gratified, she secretly blessed the accident which had given birth to his uneasiness, however she grieved for its consequence to himself. But no sooner was he satisfied of her safety than he felt himself obliged to retire, yet attributing to inconvenience what was really the effect of pain, he hurried away with an appearance of sport, saying, there is something I must own, rather unknightly, in quitting the field with for a wet jacket, but the company, I hope, will only give me credit for flying away to Ranelagh, 
So, like a brave general, after being beat, I'll exult and rejoice in a prudent retreat. He then hastened to his carriage, and poor Maurice, frightened and confounded at the disaster he had occasioned, sneaked after him with much less ceremony. While Mr. Meadows, wholly unconcerned by the distress and confusion around him, sat quietly picking his teeth and looking on, during the whole transaction, with an unmeaning stare, that made it doubtful whether he had even perceived it. Order being now soon restored, the ladies finished their tea and went upstairs. Cecilia, to whom the late accident had afforded much new and interesting matter for reflection, wished immediately to have returned home, but she was not the leader of the party, and therefore could not make the proposal. They then strolled through all the apartments, and having walked about till the fashionable time of retiring, they were joined by Sir Robert Floyer, and proceeded to the little room near the entrance to the great one, in order to wait for their carriages. Here Cecilia again met Miss Larolles, who came to make various remarks and infinite ridicule upon sundry unfashionable or uncostly articles in the dresses of the surrounding company, as well as to complain, with no little resentment, that Mr. Meadows was again standing before the fire. Captain Eresby also advanced, to tell her he was quite about two, by having so long lost sight of her, to hope she would make a renounce of mortifying the world by discarding it, and to protest he had waited for his carriage till he was actually upon the point of being acable. In the midst of this jargon, to which the fullness of Cecilia's mind hardly permitted her to listen, there suddenly appeared at the door of the apartment Mr. Albany, who, with his usual austerity of countenance, stopped to look around upon the company. "'Do you see,' cried Mr. Gosport to Cecilia, who approaches, "'your poor psychophants will again be taken to task, and I, for one, tremble at the coming storm.' "'Oh, Lord!' cried Miss Larolles, "'I wish I was safe in my chair. That man always frightens me out of my senses. You've no notion what disagreeable things he says to one.' I assure you I've no doubt but he's crazy, and I'm always in the shockingest fright in the world for fear he should be taken with a fit while I'm near him. It is really a petrifying thing, said the captain, that one can go to no spectacle without the horror of being absued by that person. If he comes this way, I shall certainly make a renounce and retire. Why so, said Sir Robert, what the devil do you mind him for? Oh, he is the greatest bore in nature, cried the captain and I always do mon possible to avoid him, for he breaks out in such barbarous phrases that I find myself degoutte with him in a moment. Oh, I assure you, said Miss Larolles, he attacks one sometimes in a manner you've no idea. One day he came up to me all of a sudden, and asked me what good I thought I did by dressing so much. Only conceive how shocking! Oh, I have had the horror of questions of that sort from him sans fin, said the captain, once he took the liberty to ask me what service I was of to the world, and another time he desired me to inform him whether I had ever made any poor person pray for me, and in short he has so frequently inconvenienced me by his impertinences that he really bores me to a degree. That's just the thing that makes him hunt you down, said Sir Robert. If he were to ask me questions for a month together, I should never trouble myself to move a muscle. The matter of his discourse, said Mr. Gosport, is not more singular than the manner, for without any seeming effort or consciousness, he runs into blank verse perpetually. I have made much enquiry about him, but all I am able to learn is that he was certainly confined at one part of his life, 
in a private madhouse, and though now, from now being mischievous, he is set at liberty, his looks, language, and whole behavior announce the former injury of his intellect. Oh, Lord, cried Miss LaRose, half screaming, what shocking notions you put in one's head! I declare, I dare say, I shan't get safe home for him, for I assure you I believe he's taken a spite to me, and all because one day, before I knew of his odd ways, I happened to fall a-laughing at his going about in that old coat. Do you know it put him quite in a passion? Only conceive how ill-natured! Oh, he has distressed me, exclaimed the captain with a shrug, part toot, and found so much fault with everything I have done, that I should really be glad to have the honor to cut, for the moment he comes up to me, I know what I have to expect. But I must tell you, cried Miss LaRose, how monstrously he put me in a fright one evening when I was talking with Miss Moffat. Do you know, he came up to us and asked what we were saying, and because we could not think in a minute of something to answer him, he said he supposed we were only talking some scandal, and so we had better go home and employ ourselves in working for the poor. Only think how horrid! And after that, he was so excessive impertinent in his remarks, there was quite no bearing him. I assure you, he cut me up, so you've no notion. Here Mr. Albany advanced, and everybody but Sir Robert moved out of the way. Fixing his eyes upon Cecilia, with an expression more in sorrow than in anger, after contemplating her some time in silence, he exclaimed, "'Ah, oh, lovely but perishable flower!' How long will that ingenious countenance, wearing, because wanting no disguise, look responsive of the whiteness of the region within? How long will that air of innocence irradiate your whole appearance, unspoiled by prosperity, unperverted by power, pure in the midst of surrounding depravity, unsullied in the tainted air of infectious perdition? The confusion of Cecilia at this public address, which drew upon her the eyes and attention of all the company, was inexpressible. She arose from her seat, covered with blushes, and saying, I fancy the carriage must be ready, pressed forward to quit the room, followed by Sir Robert, who answered, No, no, they'll call it when it comes up. Or not, will you go and see where it is? Cecilia stopped, but whispered Mrs. Harold to stand near her. And whither, cried Albany indignantly, whither wouldst thou go? Art thou already disdainful of my precepts? And canst thou not one short moment spare from the tumultuous folly which encircles thee? Many and many are the hours thou mayst spend with such as these. The world, alas, is full of them. Weary not then so soon of an old man that would admonish thee. He cannot call upon thee long, for soon he will be called upon himself. This solemn exhortation extremely distressed her, and fearing to still further offend him by making another effort to escape, she answered in a low voice, I will not only hear, but thank you for your precepts, if you will forbear to give them before so many witnesses. Whence, cried he sternly, these vain and superficial distinctions? Do you not dance in public? What renders you more conspicuous? Do you not dress to be admired and walk to be observed? Why then this fantastical scruple, unjustified by reason, unsupported by analogy? Is folly only to be published? Is vanity alone to be exhibited? O oh, slaves of senseless contradiction! O oh, feeble followers of yet feebler prejudice! Daring to be wicked, yet fearing to be wise! Dauntless in levity, yet shrinking from the name of virtue! The latter part of this speech, during which he turned with energy to the whole company, raised such a general alarm, 
that all the ladies hastily quitted the room, and all the gentlemen endeavored to enter it, equally curious to see the man who made the oration, and the lady to whom it was addressed. Cecilia, therefore, found her situation insupportable. I must go, she cried, whether there is a carriage or not. Pray, Mrs. Harrow, let us go. Sir Robert then offered to take her hand, which she was extremely ready to give him, but while the crowd made their passage difficult, Albany, following and stopping her, said, what is it you fear a miserable old man worn out by the sorrows of that experience from which he offers you counsel what too is it you trust a libertine wretch coveting nothing but your wealth for the gift of which he will repay you by the perversion of your principles what the devil do you mean by that cried the baronet to show answered he austerely the inconsistency of false delicacy to show how those who are too timid for truth can fearless meet licentiousness for heaven's sake, sir, cried Cecilia, say no more to me now. Call upon me in Portman Square when you please. Reprove me in whatever you think me blamable. I shall be grateful for your instructions, and better, perhaps, by your care. But lessons and notice thus public can do me nothing but injury. How happy, cried he, were no other injury near thee. Spotless were then the hour of thy danger, bright, fair, and refulgent thy passage to security the good would receive thee with praise the guilty would supplicate thy prayers the poor would follow thee with blessings and children would be taught by thy example he then quitted her everybody making way as he moved and proceeded into the great room mrs harrel's carriage being announced at the same time cecilia lost not an instant in hastening away sir robert as he conducted her disdainfully laughed at the adventure which the general license allowed to mr albany prevented his resenting and which therefore he scorned to appear moved at mrs harrel could talk of nothing else neither was cecilia disposed to change the subject for the remains of insanity which seemed to hang upon him were affecting without being alarming and her desire to know more of him grew every instant stronger this desire however outlived not the conversation to which it gave rise when she returned to her own room no vestige of it remained upon her mind which a nearer concern and deeper interest wholly occupied the behaviour of young Deville had pained pleased and disturbed her his activity to save her from mischief might proceed merely from gallantry or good nature upon that therefore she dwelt little but his eagerness his anxiety his insensibility to himself were more than good breeding could claim and seemed to spring from a motive less artificial she now therefore believed that her partiality was returned and this belief had power to shake all her resolves and enfeeble all her objections the arrogance of mr Deville lessened in her reflections the admonitions of mr monckton abated in her influence with the first she considered that though connected she need not live and for the second though she acknowledged the excellence of his judgment she concluded him wholly ignorant of her sentiments of Deville which he imagined when once revealed would make every obstacle to the alliance seem trifling when put in competition with mutual esteem and affection end of chapter 6 recording by jana washington dc